Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to another wonderful episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us and making us part of your morning. So I hope as many of you may be waking up, you're having that fresh cup of coffee. Maybe you're having some pancakes or breakfast of your choice that you're tuning in today and you're joining us for this wonderful show. Now, depending on where you are in the world too, it may be evening and you're enjoying some dinner, but it doesn't matter. We are here for you and we're thankful for all of your support and everything that you have given to us as far as feedback. We definitely love that. And thank you so much. I already see some people that are already joining in. Please let us know where you're joining us from in the chat. Guys, today we have a wonderful guest. I just had a great and wonderful conversation with him prior to the show and going live. And I'm just really excited to hear uh, this wonderful story and the work that uh, Mr. Andre Dowdy is doing. And so without further ado, Andre, thank you so much for being here on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. And for many of our audience members and our listeners that may not be familiar with your work yet, can you give us a little brief introduction and your context in education or your current, uh, your, the current work that you're doing right now? Yeah. Hi, friends. Uh, Andre Dowdy here, straight from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We thunder up around these parts here, you know, even though our NBA team uh, hasn't done very well these last two years. Uh, I've been in education 21 years. I know I don't look like it at all. I mean, you know, I still look real young here. Uh, but yeah, 21 years in the game and still going. Uh, I was the kid in the class, always making the beats. Think about that for a moment, man. I was the kid in the class where the pencil or the pen was my snare, my hands was the bass, and whatever that table was or that desk, that was my musical instrument. And uh, I got in trouble a lot because of that. <laughs> got in trouble a lot because of that. Uh, you know, I, I could do the work. That was no problem. My mom's an educator. So doing the work wasn't the problem. It was after completing the work. What do you do? You're sitting there bored in class. And so that's where the musical instruments came into play. After getting kicked out of class so many times, one teacher came up to me and the teacher said, you out in the hall again? And I was like, yeah. and he was like, what, what, what did you do this time? And I was like, man, I was making beats. And he was like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, man, I was making beats. He said, come with me. So he takes me to his classroom. He pulls out a, a, a keyboard, an instrumental keyboard. He said, you said you were singing and making beats. Let me hear it. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you say you making beats. Let me hear it. So I was like, okay. So then, you know, I sang and I was scatting uh, jazz phrase, you know, scatting, singing and making the beats. And he was like, oh, we got to get you in band. You have a musical talent that hasn't been tapped into yet. And so I was signed up for band. And little did I know that that kid in class who was always getting kicked out, um, little did I know I could play eight instruments by ear. 
And so from there, I was going to be the next Stevie Wonder. I was making compositions and uh, arrangements and learning how to play instruments. And I, I was going to be the next Stevie Wonder, man. I was, I was supposed to be on tour right now, singing some songs. Uh, got a scholarship to go to an HBCU here in Oklahoma called Langston University. Thanks with the help from that same teacher. That same teacher was like, hey, college, yes. Here, let me talk to some people. Let's get you some tryouts. Uh, so you can get some scholarship money. And so that same teacher did it. So here I am in college, about to be the next Stevie Wonder. And then it hit me. He was my first black male educator. It was all the way in sixth grade. What if instead of me being a music teacher or me being a musician on tour, what if I became an elementary teacher and inspired some students the same way he did me. So I changed my major and I went to elementary education. And the same way that he did for me, I was doing for students in the school. I would see the students who were making the beats and the students who are always humming and singing. And I'm like, let's, let's lean into this a little bit. That's a gift. That's a talent. Uh, I would bring my guitar up to the school. Uh, I would bring my drum set up to the school. We would grab all of my drum sticks and flip over milk crates. And we we, we had drum lines, like all of these things that I remember wishing teachers would do for me. I got the chance to do it with these students in elementary. You know, that that's so powerful. Everything that you just said, you know, just your journey. And, and all it took was for one teacher, one yeah. person, one principal to find that gift that you had. You know, oftentimes, and we were talking, you know, prior to the show, you know, there. Sometimes, the, you know, teachers label students and, and, you know, being in the classroom myself, you know, it's like, oh, I always heard the, the you know, when they're setting up schedules, oh, you're going to have him. Oh, you're going to have her. Yeah. Oh, yes, this. And oh, yes, that. And then once I get the kids, I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, these kids are phenomenal. But exactly. one thing that you said that's very important is you got to learn to tap and lean into their gifts. And find a way to connect that to your core of whatever it is that you're teaching, but allowing them to express themselves in that way. And, you know, being able to do that, you'd be surprised how much learning and understanding the students have of the concept you're teaching, uh -huh. but with their own personal creative twist to it. And that's something that's wonderful. So I love that you mentioned that. That is so yeah. powerful. There's a quote that says, if you observe students, they will teach you how to teach them. And so imagine me as that student in that classroom, finished with the work, tired of going to these centers and these stations because I've done them 9 million different times after finishing the work. And so I'm making beats. And in this one teacher, it's like, hey, that's a gift. That's, that's not a you're in trouble. That's a, that could be something that we could use at this school. Now imagine if every teacher did that. If every teacher found that one student that is disengaged and finds a way to engage that student, whether it be in class, whether it be in the hall, uh, there's one school where this kid was always drawing uh, and <laughs> making graffiti is what we'll call it. Uh, graffiti on the desk in the chairs. And uh, instead of suspending them, they were like, hey, make this mural outside on this wall. And the wall was, was raggedy. The wall was rusty, dusty. The, the wall was torn up. Uh, the custodians helped him clean it. 
and then gave him the paint to let him draw the mural. That mural was phenomenal. It's all about just teachers just finding that one small switch. It can make a world of a difference. Yes, most definitely. I agree with you. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Now, you said one thing that really stuck out. Stevie Wonder, you're like, Stevie Wonder was your first black male teacher. Now, Andre, where you're coming from, if you can describe, you know, maybe the way that you grew up, you know, and going through school. I know we talked a little story there. I don't know if you want to share that or not. And we were talking about the power of words, because, again, today's topic, we're talking about getting inspired and we're going from preschool to prosperity instead of preschool to prison. And you're doing some phenomenal work with that. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I just want to hear a little bit more about the origin of all those events that led up to the current work that you're doing now. Yeah. So once again, I'm, I'm just the kid in, in school. So my school, Oklahoma really, really don't have hoods uh, or ghettos or have a whatever urban, you know, framing you want to call it. Uh, but it was, it was the black side of town. It was the other side of the train tracks. However you want to name it, it was there. My school was 100% free and reduced lunch, you know. Uh, where we had a lot of our Latin ex families there. Uh, we had maybe one or 2% white. Uh, it was right next to a affluent community as well. And so the affluent school district on the other side of the tracks, you know, you know, that thing. Um, but to us, it's just family. We had teachers who cared. We had teachers who didn't play, you know, they were very firm, but they were also fair. Uh, and then at the same time, those teachers saw us in them. And I really think that's what the key difference was for that band director. He saw a kid, me, and other students in the room. And he was like, that kid has an Afro like me. That kid smiles like me. That kid hums and sings and dances and walks down the hall with some swag. And those kids could be my my son, my daughter, my nephew, my niece, my whomever. Um, And I think that really does make a difference because that teacher saw something in me and that teacher helped me believe that I could be the next Stevie Wonder, where I could create these songs that Stevie Wonder has been doing since the age of eight. Uh, I mean, Stevie is now probably in his 60s, if not older, uh, but Stevie still makes great songs. Like he can still bust out. You've heard all of his songs all over the world. Um, And for him to say, hey, yeah, you could do that. It's going to take some work, and this is how Stevie does it. And so just having a teacher believe in you really does make a difference. Uh, And then, like I said, once when I got to college, Langston University, an HBCU, Historically Black College and University, the more and more I sat there and thought about it, the more and more it shifted. Because, yeah, I do love to make music, and I had a CD. Man, I I mean, the CD was supposed to go platinum, and, and, you know, it didn't go. Not in Oklahoma, at least. Um, instead I went education and, uh, made a difference that way. My imprint was still there. There you go. And that's so important because I mean, all that, that you learned, I mean, you, although you learned so many instruments and you have eight instruments, but you yourself, my friend are an instrument and you were, and you you went into those schools and then you made a difference for many students. So tell us a little bit about your transition. Okay. So you transitioned to education. Talk to me about a little bit about your first couple of years in education. How was that for you? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. So what happens is when you teach in the hood, uh, you see a lot of people who look like you, a lot of people who feel like you, that believe like you. you see the students who have some of the same mannerisms. So I used to love to see how they would try to play game on you. And you'd be like, man, no, you could see it like from a mile away because you yourself used to do that in class with teachers. And so it was a full circle moment. I remember talking to my mom and she was like, you remember all the trouble that you used to get into? Some of these students are going to get in that same trouble. Now, will you give them the grace or will you suspend them? Will you give them detention or will you talk to them? Like, there are some different ways that you can work this thing now since you have been on both sides. And so I remember my first year, I had a student, I won't name him, uh, but he was an ED student. And he was going to have outbursts and episodes uh, at least once a week. And you knew it was coming, you just didn't know when. And so there were lots of times that he would have those episodes. And then I remember my mom saying those exact same words. How will you give him grace? You know that this isn't, he's not trying to, this is an episode. There is something chemically imbalanced in his head, you know, and then his parents uh, didn't want to give him like medication. They wanted to kind of just pray it out of him. And so they were a really strong religious family. Um, and she was like, you got to give him grace because they are trying. He's really trying. He's just going to have episodes. So what are you going to do about it? And so that's year one, right? So like that reframes your entire teaching. And that's kind of how it goes into the preschool to prison because there are so many of us as teachers, so many of us as educators, so we just don't offer that same grace or we're not prepared for that. Knowing that that kid did hit me several times, I could have called the police on him. I should have, based on the letter of the law, called the police on him. He should have been arrested because you're not supposed to hit a teacher. But at the same time, I know that there's something wrong with him. emotionally, psychologically. And so do I put him in handcuffs as a third grader? Is that really the right thing to do? Yes, he can't hit people. I 100% agree with that. He is not supposed to be hitting a teacher, but you know, you can see it in his eyes. Like for this one student, I could see when the episode was forming. Similar to how some people can feel when a migraine is coming and, you know, the small triggers start to happen. And then the next thing you know, the world kind of caves in on you. And then the full migraine hits. It was the same way here. You could tell when this student was starting to go down that path. So do I wait until he goes all the way down the path and then say, all right, suspension, 12 days. Uh, you know, oh, he's exposed. You're out of the, no longer here. Oh, police coming in. No. And I think there's something that we as educators really need to continue to uh, reflect on is we have students in our classrooms who are dealing with a lot more than just ABCs, one, two, threes. And do we provide grace for them? Do we set them up for success? And, and when they do have these episodes, um, do we suspend them? Is suspension really the answer? Is calling the police, putting the him, her, they in handcuffs, is that really the answer? What is the best way to help these students? And for this student, uh, the best way was not suspension. 
the best way for him was to stay in school. And he was shocked. His mom was shocked. He's not getting suspended. So, no, we don't want to suspend him and bring him home. Because at home, he has all of the game consoles and all the free food. And he's trying to fight because at home, he's at home with his big brother who was suspended. So he's like, if I get suspended, we can both be home playing this game. And I'm like, nah, what he really needs is some, I won't say coping, but he, he needs some strategy. So when that episode starts to come and starts to happen, we can calm him down just a little. And we worked on it. And I would love to say that it happened that fast. It did. It took the entire year before he figured out some of the strategies when those episodes were coming. But that's the grace that we need as, as teachers. That's the grace that students need. Like, do we really need to suspend people over some of the small things? And for some of those bigger things, when you know those students have issues and concerns, is the suspension really worth it? Isn't the rest really worth it? Those are some things to think about. And, you know, I'm, I'm taking all this in as you're speaking because, and I'm, I'm also going back to when I first started in education, I mean, coming from private sector and you yourself also, you know, going from that music, uh, music track to education. One thing that I'm noticing as I've had guests on the show that pivot from private you know, or, you know, not non-education fields, and then they go into education fields. And I may get in trouble for this, but I'm saying like, we have a different view of things as far as, you know, the work with our students, how to engage our students. It's like, we see things very different. And right now that you're mentioning that, I can think of many situations where there are teachers, and I don't know if it could be because, you know, we're not trained properly, or maybe we think very different, but there are those teachers that instantly with just one, uh, you know, like one uh, hum or, you know, you're banging and making some beats and everything immediately, you know, go to the principal's office, like your disruption, like, like, I don't want to deal with you. Like, like, no, go. But yeah. then there's other teachers like ourselves that are like, hey, cool, let show me what you got. And then like, let's make an activity out of it and tie it into what we're doing or, hey, create something for me in your spare time. Or we build up on that and say, hey, you know what? Would you mind leading a club or doing thing, you know, this maybe after school and involving more of our classmates in this? Or, hey, you know what? How about you teach me a little bit of that, too? Because I want to learn a little bit about that. You know, so in, in hearing what you're saying, you know, I'm wondering through your experience and through your lens also as well. Is that something that you kind of picked up on? Because I know. I had a previous guest, his name is Matthew Woods, great guy, you know, also awesome speaker. And he said, you know, he, he and he told me, Fonz, people like you, as far as coming in from private sector, you know, as I walk down the halls and doing observations, I see who those teachers are that did not go through the College of Education. And then I see the difference between those that do. What has been your experience in that? Is that something that maybe through your years in education you've seen as well? Okay, so that's a yes and dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. I'm sorry. It was so loaded, but I think no, no, no. reflect. The reason, why, the reason why I say a yes and, there are so many really great teachers who went through those teacher programs who learned that pedagogy and learned those strategies, and they can rock and roll with it. What I've seen more of is people will fall back on to what they are familiar. So if you grew up in a room or a school 
where you had all straight rows and it was, you know, the teacher basically had the ruler in his, her, they hand, and it was very fear-driven of learning versus respect-driven of learning, then chances are when those students become adults, they may lean on that because that's what they're familiar with. Those teachers who grew up in the silent room, I'm going to give you 900 problems to do and you stay quiet. If you have a question, you quietly raise your hand. Or if you have a question and you need to go to the restroom, you got to hold up two fingers or whatever it may be. Like those rules and those procedures most times come from teachers who grew up in those stricter environments. Um, what I love that I'm seeing nationwide, well, pre-pandemic, of course, was uh, they were breaking free of those straight rows and you saw more cluster seating or more free seating or, or more group work, more collaborative talking in school. Like I remember when I was growing up, as soon as you walked inside of that middle school, high school class, it was do this bell work, shut up. Don't say a word. Listen to what the lecture is going to be about. Figure it out. And if you didn't figure it out, it's because you wasn't paying attention. And I was like, no, nah, I was paying attention. I still don't get it. But the teacher's like, nope, I've already taught it. It's up to you to learn it now. And then you do your independent work for the rest of the day until the bell rings. And you can't leave until the bell rings. Wait until that bell. And then once the bell rings, you leave and go to another class and then rinse, repeat. But now what I'm seeing is I see students walk inside the classroom and having conversations. I see it's no longer just a lecture for the entire hour. And so there is a shift in what school looks like. Another reason why I believe a lot of people believe that way, because that's what you see in movies. I mean, think about some of our classic movies that we grew up watching. All of those movies where the teacher says, be quiet or shut up, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop, and then everybody falls into line. And then everybody is automatically perfect. That's not realistic. And most of us as educators know the majority of those movies aren't realistic. It takes some time. It takes some building of relationships. And I think students to grow. Yes. No, relationships. You've hit that. You know, that has always been part of my practice. It's just the relationships, the community and starting off with that first, you know, setting up the expectations and talking with them, getting to know them and making kind of like a just the, the rules for our classroom, you know, yeah. what, what seems, what would be the best fit? Because not every classroom like is going to be the same. You're going to have a different mix of kids. So it's okay to have different kind of procedures and rules for different classes. It doesn't always have to be the same for every class and so on. You just adjust and improvise, adapt to overcome. And that, that's been my motto always. But uh, a couple of things that you hit on, you know, yes, growing up, you grew up with the Rose and, uh, you know, there was a podcast guest several episodes ago who says, you know, we're still teaching, you know, and kind of in that industrial revolution style where, we ring a bell, we tell you where to go. We ring a bell, we tell you when to have lunch. We ring a bell. And so it's kind of like, we're, are we prepping students for the future of work? Or, or I mean, we're, are we just prepping them just to go straight into the workforce and just be, you know, those obedient busy bees just doing what you need to do and you hear a bell and that's it, you know? So those are just come some of the conversations that we had earlier this week too with another colleague of mine stating, yeah. you know, education, you has changed and it is changing, 
but there are still some of those locations and places where they still follow like, no, 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 everything has to be in rows. Everything has to be, you know, teacher led, you know, guide, no guide on the side. I get it. I mean, yeah. looking at it from the outside in, I get it. It's easier to comply that way. It's easier to keep everybody focused that way. If I say, okay, these first five minutes is my bell work. This first five, after that, this next 25 minute block is my teaching. I, I mean, it's so much easier. You can just plug and chug. You can bring, bring in a substitute. All right, substitute, five minutes here, 25 minutes here, another 15 minutes independent work here, leave there. It's, it's easier to say line up in a straight line, third square from the right or the left and walk. That's, that's just, it makes life easier. But sometimes easier isn't always better. And as an elementary teacher, I remember seeing my fourth and fifth graders being on that second square, third square from the line, and then how they were struggling going to middle school that was free choice. And you're being able to move about and go to the restroom here, there, and everywhere. And I remember having conversations, uh, our school with the middle school saying, you know, what can we best do to get our students ready for your middle school? And they were like, these kids come to the school too straight left, straight road. They don't know how to interact because they never had those chances. And so that was good reflection for us as elementary to say, we need to loosen that up. All right, students, you've got a five minute break. During this five minutes, you can take a water break. You can go stretch your legs. You can walk in the hall. You can take a restroom break. I mean, how many elementary schools do you know are actually doing that? It was, it, it was a shocking thing. And the students, they were like, wait, what? You're serious? We were like, yeah, you get a five-minute break. And this is what it looks like in middle school or junior high. And we as educators, we stood out, you know, at the doors and, you know, we watched the halls, but we gave them that, that autonomy, gave them that freedom, that agency. And they loved it. And so then from there, I'm saying to myself, what else do we may need to revisit or rethink? Uh, and it was lunchroom. At the elementary school, a lot of elementary schools, they have assigned seating for lunch. Others, they have quiet lunch. And I'm like, when do the students ever get to talk? If they have a quiet lunch, the only time they get to talk and run and play and be silly is during uh, recess or PE. Like, no, okay. But once again, I do understand it because it's so much easier from a teacher's perspective just to say, all right, the whole cafeteria, be quiet. Everybody be quiet, eat. All right, now you can't eat, okay? Now this table, go dump your tray. It's so much more easier to manage that way versus having kids talking and excited and, and of course, they're going to be loud. And now that's extra pressure on the teacher or the monitor. Um, yeah, it was a whole lot of rethinking, rephrasing, uh, but it was for the better. Those students going to middle school, they're like, ah, oh, we see the adjustments you all have done and we thank you because these kids came in ready to go. That's excellent. No, and I, I love it. I, and I've seen that quiet lunch thing and it's just very eerie where you have the students just come in and it really breaks my heart. And they're always saying, if you're talking, you're not eating. If you're talking, you're not eating. And I mean, these kids, they just can't even, you know, enjoy themselves. And it's just so much energy. They're kids. They need yeah. to be kids. And then sometimes what happens, like, you know, you mentioned, it's like, where are they going to get their energy out? Well, then what happens if 
they end up losing recess for some reason. So now yeah. you've got a student who has not been able to decompress. You've got a student that has all that energy that hasn't been able to just talk or share or run around or anything. And now you have a student in class who may be fidgety because, hey, you know what? Like, I, I feel anxious. I'm in a tight room. Yeah. I haven't had enough time to just release, you know, some energy and so on. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're you stop. You're, you're being a troublemaker. You're doing this or you're doing that. And we're creating these same problems. And then so I, that, like you said, it just really breaks my heart with that. Uh, I want to go ahead and thank AJ and Amanda for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for your comments. AJ here says uh, here, you are correct. Easier doesn't allow for creativity and for students to show who they are. Um, as correct. And then, of course, Amanda here chiming in on uh, culture as well. You know, you got to build rapport, allow students to find their identity in the culture of learning. So thank you so much, Amanda, AJ, for your comments and joining us. So, Andre, let's go ahead and shift this a little bit more because I want our audience members and our listeners to know about the current work that you're doing. I know that now you may not be on tour as a musician, but you are on tour, you know, or are available yeah. to go out and visit districts and talk about this. And especially this topic, I know you have, uh, you know, from preschool to prison and engaging today's generation with all the experience that you've had and all your travels and things and, uh, you know, your work in this, you know, this really, when I saw your, your bio and uh, your webpage, this is what really stuck out to me because I think, honestly, we may be able to do a better job always and even grow in little increments. Like you said, it doesn't have to be from one day to the next, but just incremental growth can lead to huge growth in the end. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, this specific keynote, maybe the main details that you go over and some of the observations uh, that you've seen throughout your visits and campuses or visits and districts. and. Just throw in, you know, as it flows out, a little bit of what we as an edu or educators or the, you know, or the education, um, I guess, uh, us as educators, I guess, we can all do a little bit better to help this situation. Yeah, I, I love this is one of the most popular uh, keynotes that I, I share. And the way that I tie it is that everybody's generation is different. You, you think about the greatest generation or Generation X or Generation Jones or Generation YZ, Millennials, or even this current generation called Generation Alpha. Uh, every generation is different. But what happens oftentimes is we as educators, we stick to one method because that's the method that we saw. So I am a Gen X person. I'm a kid who grew up on Saturday morning cartoons. And I'm the kid who grew up on every Saturday morning, you made sure that you had your bowl of cereal and you knew between this time and this time, there were going to be at least 15 cartoons that you could, you could watch. And then even from there, how, when commercial time came, that was your opportunity to run and get seconds on cereal or a different piece of toast or go run and use the restroom. But I even remember my brother run uh, screaming, it's coming back on, Trey. Trey is And I'm running, jumping over a couch so I can get back into my position to watch Saturday morning cartoons. But if you think about that, um, Generation Jones or the Baby Boomers, they didn't have Saturday morning cartoons. They listened to the radio as their entertainment. 
or they were the ones who got the very first TV and they had Howdy Doody or the Bozo Show. Or if you think about it, Generation Z or Generation Alpha now, they don't know what Saturday morning cartoons is because they have DVRs or they have apps where the cartoon is always on. And so how each generation is just a little bit different, it's the same with the teaching. It's the same with our classrooms. It's the same uh, with our behaviors in our rooms. For some people, they were strict. And if you said shut up, that was considered a curse word, depending on what part of the country or the world you live in. For others, shut up is just as normal as any other phrase and word. And it's just different generations like that. And then when you add and include some of the biases that you grew up with, whether they be implicit uh, or some of the racism that you grew up with, uh, whether you didn't know that you were being racist or you did know and you were still being racist, when you throw all of that together, plus the industrial uh, complex of what school looks like, when you put all of that in one pot, that's how we get from preschool to prison. There is a reason why so many students love that first day of school. Have you ever watched students on the first day of school? They iron their clothes the day before. They want to make sure that that fit is perfect. They are walking up and down the halls with a swag you have never seen. But by that third week, fourth week of school, they're over it. They don't want to go to school anymore. It's the same in elementary, if you think about it. Those kindergartners, those first graders, when they come to your schools, they are in love with school. They can tell you everything about their day. But for some reason, by the time they get to third grade, fifth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, a lot of them hate school. So in this preschool, from preschool to prison, we kind of discuss why. And a lot of it comes with the biases of the teachers or the structures that are unfair for some and more geared towards others. Like, for example, um, I'll share with you here. I, I wrote them down here on my computer. These are suspensions and arrests that have happened in, this, in the school in America. These are some of the reasons why people got, these kids got suspended or arrested. Here, I'll give you just a few of them. The first one, not breaking up a fight. A student was arrested for not breaking up a fight. Another one, a kindergarten was put in handcuffs because he had a temper tantrum. Got the police, got the handcuffs out, put him behind his back, escorted that kid, put him in the police car over a kindergarten temper tantrum. Here's another one, arrested. They were playing the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on their cell phone. Now, this is a story all about how that song got a person put in handcuffs, arrested, and escorted out. And you can find all of these on Google. You can just do a quick Google search. Uh, and another one, taking a picture of discolored water. The water didn't look clear. The water didn't look clean. The kid pulled out the phone, took a picture of it, suspended. So now we have to ask ourselves why? 
And that's where the, the rough conversations really come in. And that's the work that I enjoy doing. Uh, that's the work that I'm seeing so many of our educators are doing now. It's no longer just about the ABCs, one, two, threes, and curriculum. It is now we are pulling back these layers and we are discussing why are we suspending so many students at this rate? Was it worth arresting a kid because they played the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? I'll give you another one. The student was suspended because he accidentally took milk that was free, went through the, the lunch line, left the lunch line, forgot his milk, went back to get his milk, picked up the milk, walked out. They said he was stealing. They called it larceny. So now what I'm loving is that so many educators are saying, wait, time out, there's something wrong. And the reason why I'm sharing all of this is because there is a, um, a stat that says 68% of the student, of the people in state or federal prisons, they don't have their high school diplomas. And then the other stat behind that is that for every one suspension in ninth grade, it doubles their chance of not finishing high school, of not completing that goal, which then ties right into the 68% of the people in state and federal prisons not having a diploma. So when we pull back these layers and we start to do a self-check, self-reflection for us teachers, us as administrators, what policies do we have in place? What procedures do we have in place that are unfair? There was one school where they suspended a kid because his dreadlocks or his, his, his natural locks were too long. And they wanted him to cut them clean like the side of my head. And you say, wait, what? But then you allowed everybody else at the school to have long hair. Wait, what? Let's have a conversation on that. And this is what I'm loving. I'm loving that in order to get to that prosperity, we got to do that tough work inward first. That self-reflection. What things have I been doing as teacher in my class that have been unfair and unjust? What tone have I been setting in my classrooms, in the hall, in my grade level that have made students not want to come to school anymore? I'll give you one more example, man. Um, you know, since the pandemic started, everybody went online learning. And for a while, the teachers were the superheroes nationwide, worldwide. You know, we had everybody loving on us. We were getting all kinds of discounts because they really saw how difficult and challenging teaching was when their students were at home and they had to do it with their students online. And so nationwide, you know, schools are opening back up and everybody was falling in love with teachers again and everybody was appreciating teachers. And then, of course, the, the switch flipped. Um, here locally, I won't say it's school, uh, but here locally, there was a group of students who went to school and they said they absolutely loved it. It felt like a fresh start of school post-pandemic. They went to the school and they were appreciated. They were respected. They were asked, you know, how's your mom and your dad doing? I heard that uncle had COVID. How is he doing? They said they really felt like a school family. Because these teachers were legit asking them, how was everything going? And within one month of them returning to school, it went all the way back down 
They quit asking forming relationships. They quit asking how mom was, how are they doing? And it went back to all curriculum. That's it. Pass the test. And based on what this one student shared with me, uh, the student said that you could tell that the culture of the school went from way up here to way down here. And I said, explain that to me more. What do you mean? You said you could see that the kids were first excited to be at school and that the teachers were smiling in the hallway to at the end of the year, no one at that school is smiling. Everybody is counting down. Oh, we got 12 days of school left. Oh, there's 18 more days of school left. Oh, I cannot wait until so it's just, uh, the... and it makes us think, what happened? How do we get to the prosperity if our mindset is still prison-based? Wow, that is very powerful. And I agree with you on many points that you mentioned. The first one that I want to reiterate is sometimes you have to turn the mirror on yourself. Yeah. Many times you figure it's like, oh, it, this is happening because of this or this or this. And we're seeing everything outward. But it's important as teachers to reflect. All right. Sorry, Mr. Andre. Sorry about that. Looks like we got unplugged. We good? Yeah, we right. Hey, uh, tech happens. Yeah, it happens, man. <laughs> anyway, so what we were saying is uh, that self-reflection. It's very important as teachers to reflect on what we may be doing. And I know earlier, prior to the episode, we talked about how the power of words that teachers have. Certain things that we may say that may stick with a student from that moment on throughout their career and or throughout their you know through their educational journey and it may not be always a positive thing yeah you know teachers labeling students and saying oh you're gonna have that kid and oh you're gonna have that kid that you're already setting up that other teacher who's gonna have them for that year maybe just already with that mentality mm -hmm. so there's certain things that are within our control that we can do better one of the things like you mentioned too is when we came back from uh you know pandemic the whole thing was SEL, SEL, do this, do this, yeah. do this. It probably that they probably did that maybe for one day, some teachers, because they're used to, they came back, they're back in their comfort zone and it's go time curriculum. We got to start from day one because I got to finish by this because I yeah. got to get you ready for the test. And you're absolutely right. You know, you started off with smiles day one, week one, and now everybody's just, we're just, we want to get out. We want to make sure and start fresh again, but we need to make sure that we change those things. I mean, yeah. for a lot of students that finally came back this year, this year could have been one of those better years after being at home for the situation. And for a lot of students I'm seeing and hearing that it's probably been one of the worst years the that they've had yeah. in their school experience because yeah. of everything that's happening. So like you said, everything that you say has just been spot on. And I really thank you for the work that you're doing and really making us aware or having, allowing us to think and have those crucial conversations because 
those are definitely very important to have right now. Yeah. And, and even for our administrators and our leaders who are listening and watching. Uh, All right. Andrew, I'm sorry. I can't hear you at this moment. I'm not check. sure if your mic is on or might have been. Mic check. Mic check. Mic check. Do, do, do. Mic check. One. All right. Well, anyway, so what we're, what we're trying to fix this, guys. Sorry about that. We had a little technical difficulty here. Mic check. I guess with the signal that we lost, but we're okay. Uh, let's see, maybe Andre, if you leave the studio and then, ju or just refresh. Yeah. All right. But so what Andre was saying, guys, is just very, very important that we have these conversations because we definitely need to make a change and we need to do better at what we are currently doing. And as a district, we definitely need to do a lot better. Um, then what? there we go. We're good. So we're doing a lot better. We need to do a lot better work. And everything that Andre's hit on today has really just kind of hit. And we're all processing this. I'm processing this myself, you know, even though I've been out of the classroom for five years, but I can still take this and within my current role, still apply a lot of this into okay. my current situation and wherever it is that we go. So this isn't just for education. This is, this goes beyond curriculum. This just goes beyond to being an absolutely good human being <laughs> and really thinking about what our practices are, maybe what we've learned and try and think about like, would this be the best practice today? And oftentimes, you know, we, we realize like, wow, I need to adapt. I need to make some changes because as the education landscape changes, we cannot be stuck in that industrialized, you know, form. We need to allow the students to grow for the future of work, those soft skills, be productive. And again, like today's topic, we definitely want our students to go from preschool to prosperity, not preschool to prison. And I would say the same exact same thing as far as our leadership, um, where I understand that those powers that be are forcing our leaders to focus on testing, 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 and all of that good stuff. Uh, but go back to what it felt like when you were a teacher. How were you responding and loving on your students and your teachers during the pandemic? Go back to that. There's so many teachers who are quitting the profession because it is just too much. Part of that is the leadership. Part of that is administration. So what can my, our administrators and our leaders do to help cultivate that climate again, that SCL climate, that caring, that relationship? You know, some of that was broken during the pandemic. How can we uh, reintroduce that love to our teachers, to our staffs? Nice. Well put there, Andre. Thank you so much for sharing. And before we wrap up, Andre, this has been just an amazing conversation. It's been an, one of my favorites so far, too, out of all the episodes. I mean, I have many favorites, but this one is just really just hit different. And I really appreciate your honesty, your genuineness, authenticity, and just really bringing these topics to light. Many for many people, this or many educators, this may be something difficult to talk about or even just to think and again turning that mirror on oneself oftentimes can be very difficult for a lot of us but I really thank you for the work that you have done in the classroom the work that you're currently doing right now also taking these messages on the road like I mentioned eight different instruments but you my friend are the instrument and so I thank you 
that you're being used in this way to go out there and have these conversations. But before we wrap up our episode, I definitely, I always like to wrap up with three questions just to kind of close out, you know, on a lighter note and everything like that and having some fun. So Andre, my first question to you, my friend, is this. In the current state of education and what you're seeing, and I know we talked a little bit about that or a lot about that today, maybe I may not even need to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. But what is your current edu kryptonite? <laughs> okay, so this every time I hear this phrase, I melt literally like kryptonite. I feel like Superman or Clark Kent, and I just can't. Is when I hear people say, especially our principals, administrators say, learning loss. Oh, we got to catch up because during the pandemic, it was learning loss. And I'm like, who are we catching up to? It would be different if just the state of Oklahoma had COVID. We did not. The whole world had it. So focusing on that learning loss, learning loss, just teach. Just get us through this to learn. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that, that right there. Uh, yeah. Who's yeah. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. Uh, I have a great friend and administrator, Josh Tovar, who said, look, this whole learning loss thing is like COVID put everybody on an even playing field, even playing field. Everybody went through the exact same thing. Yeah. Now, there may be schools that may have been more resilient. So but that should tell you a little something then again as well. Turn the mirror on yourself and on your practice. And if you're seeing some of these schools that are being a little bit more resilient, well, what, what's going on there? But yeah, there was absolutely that learning loss phrase is one that just, uh, it's yeah. just cringeworthy. And like, just a, like you said, I mean, there's, there's some educational uh, equity concerns that we all know about. Like we, we get that too. Uh, but for just to say learning loss, learning, we need to yeah. catch these kids up three years in, in four months. No, that's not going to happen. That's, no, not at all. I love what Amanda says here. She says, we lost the standardized version of learning. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And then AJ here throwing in, it says, it's not the admin that say learning loss. It's the outside world blaming schools. Yeah. You know, you get to see that too as well. All right, Andre, next question. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, my friend, what would it be and why? Ooh. All right, so go with me on this one. I would put on the billboard, America is messy, period. And then under it, hashtag, that is all. Under it, hashtag, that is the truth. Under it, hashtag, that's the tweet. <laughs> there you and go. the reason why is we in the elementary sector, anytime we, we teach on social studies or history, Man, we've, we've got America looking just absolutely amazing from before 1619 all the way to 2021. And what our students found out during the pandemic, what we are finding out, what we continually to see on social media and online is that it's not just as easy as black and white. There's a whole lot of gray in our American history. And for whatever reason, we are not teaching it that way. Uh, we're teaching that Columbus is such a per a great person, but we're not teaching the real part of who Christopher Columbus was. And so our students at the elementary level are learning all of our great American his history heroes never having flaws. And that's not the truth. And so I would put America is messy. We still need to teach it anyway. 
Yeah. There you go. All right. Very powerful. Thank you, Andre. And the last question to wrap up, Andre, and I know I just found out in the, the pre-chat that you yourself also are a podcaster. So this question fits in perfectly in line with this show. So now, Andre, if this was your show currently today that we are taping and I was a guest on your show, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? Yes. So my podcast is called See What Had Happened. And that's just sharing stories and education from the good, the bad, and everything in between. So the question I would ask you is, what is the funniest story that you've ever seen inside of school? Ooh, the funniest story I have seen inside of school. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, it's like it's with me involved in it. And so, okay. So here we go. So I'm a science teacher and, uh, you know, did math, social studies, but we're covering science and we're covering um, chemical change. So it may, it may not be so funny. It just depends. I, I, my principal kind of thought that it was, a, you know, a little funny after the fact. But so we're going through this lesson. And of course, in, in our school, in that, that particular campus, in the lab, we didn't have quite the materials that we needed. So went out, you know, to the dollar store and everything, bought some materials and we, you know, going through this lesson. So I get um, one of those little like uh, cricket lighters and things of that sort, like, you know, you're lighting up the barbecue pit, had aluminum foil, had chocolate, had all of these things because we're talking about heat and chemical change and all that stuff. And well, I so happen to buy some sugar cubes too as well. So here we are experimenting. And myself, I always like to document, you know, the science that we do in our classroom, not only for myself, but our students. So then our students are recording. And so here's Mr. Mendoza with a piece of aluminum foil and a little sugar cube melting it. And um, let's just say that people got the wrong idea of what was happening in the classroom, in my fifth grade classroom, because they thought that I was kind of either cooking something different because they didn't quite get the context because the the... The cube, they didn't see that it was a whole cube in there. They just kind of kind of saw the, the the residue, you know. Uh-huh. And so po- that goes up on social media. And then all of a sudden I get my principal knocking on my door. He's like, oh, Mr. Mendoza, I need to talk to you. I was <laughs> like, yes, sir. What's going on? And he goes, uh, oh, what what were you doing today? Like, what were you working on? Uh, we, we got a call. I was like, oh, yeah, we've been doing science and everything. Well, we there's this video that got posted on social media. And this is what it is. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, my goodness. And I, I had to obviously show him. I was like, look, here's the material. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson plan, what we're going over. So it was very interesting and it was funny after the fact. But, you know, it was one of those things where, I, you know, who knows? I, I'm lucky that I'm still in education, you know, because of we're just doing a science experiment. But, yeah, so that was that's my story. <laughs> See what had happened. happened, (laughs) Anytime you hear see what had happened, you know it's about to be a good story. That was a good story. Oh, Andre. Well, thank you so much, Andre. You've definitely made my morning just great. You just brought so much joy. And then obviously, too, with this conversation, uh, you know, it is a serious topic. And I thank you so much for making it or bringing it to a level for all our audience members to really see, to really 
dive deep and, you know, reflect on this conversation because it's something that's very important. As you know, we do need to make a lot of educate, uh, changes in the education landscape. But I thank you that you are out there and you're advocating for students. You're, you know, helping teachers understand and making a change, my friend. So thank you for the work that you are doing. And I, you know, I hope that you continue, have continued success in what you're doing, bringing these messages to current school districts. And before we uh, close up the show, Andre, please let our audience members know how it is that they can get in contact with you. Yes, there's only two of us in America, Andre Dowdy. One of, the, one of them's in New York, the other one me in Oklahoma City. So you can find me on whatever your social is, Andre, A-N-D-R-E, Dowdy, D-A-U-G-H-T-Y on all socials. And same with our podcast, See What Had Happened. We're on all podcasting sites. And if you want to see us visually, we're also on YouTube, where we're the stories we share from the good, the bad, and everything in between. And my co-host is my lovely wife, who is also an educator. So we're just talking shop and talking stories and, and bringing special guests and things like that and sharing stories in education. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Andre. And we got a lot of love from our audience members here. Oh, it's just amazing. We got Amanda. Thank you so much. I've got one of my great friends, Gerardo Navarrete. He's actually joining us from Campeche, Mexico. So thank you so much, Gerardo. Thank you so much, Telania, for joining us here as well. I appreciate our love. AJ Bianco, too, as well. Fellow podcaster, great podcast, Reflected podcast. Make sure you check them out on the Edu Podcast Network. And my friends, thank you so much. Again, for making us part of your Saturday and joining us for this amazing conversation. And as always, my friends, please make sure you check out our website at www.myedtech.life. Myedtech.life. And you can find us on all socials. Check out our store, guys. Show some support, some love. We've got some new threads out. So conference, summer conference season is around the corner. So if you want to look sharp and support the show, get yourself a shirt or you can always uh, buy us a cup of coffee to keep the creativity going. Appreciate all the love from everybody. And until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie.